Welcome to the Fitness Podcast. It's episode four, and I'm your host, Declan Murphy. On today's episode, we have Mo of Mo Power and Strength. Mo is a cracking coach, a great guy. He shares lots of experiences and knowledge with us today. Uh, but before we get into the, today's episode, I would just like to say a massive thank you to everyone who has listened to our podcast, shared them on social media, and left us a review. Uh, we've had a fantastic response, and we really appreciate it. Now let's get into today's episode, guys. Enjoy. Welcome, Mo, to the FitSess Podcast. Mo is a renowned strength and conditioning coach, and he owns a fantastic private facility in Bolton, uh, where he trains his clients from. Um, anyone who has seen our Instagram or Facebook will have seen um, me and a couple of the lads training down there a few times. Uh, we've done stuff like some stone work down there. We have done log work, and we've also gone and bought equipment off Mo before. Welcome, Mo. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Give us a bit of a training background and history. Yep, hi, uh, I'm Mo, I'm the owner of Mo Power Strength and Conditioning. Uh, training history, well, uh, I'm sure my age here, a very young age, I've just been into sport. My father was a wrestler uh, in the Sandpits in India, a cushy wrestler, so he always encouraged me to do things and just like participate. So I played every sport under the sun as a child. It was just my passion, and for a long time, that's what I did. I just love playing sport, I love competition. I guess I wasn't the most talented in anything I did. Everything in life for me has always been about to work for. But other people, you know, something just comes from a lot easier than me. But I think that's what taught me, I guess, to become a coach because I could see how I was learning and how, how long it took me. But then for me to coach others, I find it a lot easier because I know how to break things down. Um, but I literally played every sport of the sun. I played cricket. Uh, football, rugby, badminton, uh, as I said, never great at anything per se, but I just love playing. So I started training from a very young age. And the thing I was just thinking about this few days ago, I watched a Rocky movie, I must have been about eight, and I decided to go running next day. And that's the one thing that really, really gets to me. And I thought, oh, Rocky used to go for a run, so I go for a run, and so I kind of just evolved from there and um, initially a lot of the training was just generic bodybuilding stuff you know hitting the teens you want to look good so so, so forth and then I realised well hold on a second there's a bit more to this yeah the ability to participate so I actually got a scholarship to go down to set back to college in 1991 Um, it was a sports university and stuff but I'd be honest with you I played football, I played in the first team, there were six teams there. Um, within a few weeks I was playing in the first, I'm very, very mentally strong in that sense. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I just don't take no for an answer, I'm very persistent. Um, the only thing is I really did, was not mentally ready to study. So I didn't really finish my education and then that was 91 to 92. And then from 92 I came back to Bolton, I, I went to America for a few years and coached soccer. That was my thing. Initially, was, I was mad about football. That was my passion, my life, everything revolves around football. So now, it's strength and conditioning. So I have a very kind of like all or nothing personality. If I get my head into something, it's 100%. I can't just do anything half. And for me, I want to be the best coach I can be now to the athletes I train. Um, so that's sort of my background. I've dabbled in all sorts of different training ideas, methods. When I was at the college, I trained with a quite high-level uh, decathletes or speed side getting up. I never really lifted weights as such. Um, I did more plyometric training with him, uh, a lot of sprint training, and that really benefits in terms of getting you know, quicker, a lot more explosive. I mean, considering I was only going to walk around about 10 stone tops, now I'm about 14. Um, I was reasonably quick and very athletic. So what I what I lacked in ability as such, I made up for it in just being fitter than somebody else, worked harder than anybody else. And I think that's the thing that took me further. So I was always interested in training, reading up on training. It was just everything revolved around training, playing football for a long time. And then as I got older, um, I dabbled in wrestling for a while, some boxing, 
again, just purely for enjoyment's sake. My background is kind of varied. I worked at the doors for 12 years, so that kind of helped and all that. But then the main, in 2004, it kind of just, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a strength coach. Uh, how, do, how do you go about doing it? I'm like, well, okay. Um, at that time, there was no strength and condition degrees itself, which, which they are now, or exercise performance and stuff. There was, there was limited. So I just started off at a generic sports science degree in 2006 at the University of Bolton. Um, again, I found it really difficult. I'm not a good academic. Yeah. I'm hands-on. I learn from doing more than anything else. So I, I first year, I, must have, I felt like quitting a few times, but I stuck it out. I got my degree. Uh, and then I was expecting a sense of euphoria when I graduated and it wasn't there. So I thought, oh, what do I do now? Um, and just before that, I'd actually gone over to Westside Barbell in 2009, February time. I seen a video. Uh, sorry, Louis, please forgive me for this. I bought a, um, a bootleg video DVD and I saw something and I thought, wow, this is crazy. Never heard of this box, what's this, this, chains, bands. So I was fascinated. I was just like, wow, <laughs> this is cool stuff. Um, but going back, I'm sort of like you know, drifting a little bit here. I was already training people in my backyard for, the age, for about 2005. So we had a, my backyard is quite big. Um, we had a, an old, battered, um, very heavy duty chill rack. And I caught it in. Um, Hammerite to stop it getting rusty. A couple of kegs full of water, sand, a mixture of different things, some flagstones, um, and some massive thick rope. Me being, me being an entrepreneur, I buy this rope that's like this thick yeah. off of in Southampton. I mean, don't forget, I don't have a gym now, so it's yeah. getting delivered up to my house, and people are looking, thinking, What the hell? What on earth is in, in his back garden? <laughs> massive thing. Rope that's like thick as an anaconda. So we used to pull that, drag it, you know, do wrestling drills with it, and just basically fool around with it. So that was, I already kind of started coaching already in that sense, but I was already doing it with football. So I was kind of decided on that, was mainly my friends. Yeah. Um, and the next point from there was I went, to, when I played cricket as a child, I went there. And they had, uh, they let me use it. Uh, my dear friend who's passed away now, Sullivan. I miss him dearly. Iggy said, "Yeah, go for it." So whatever I could find at the cricket ground, whatever it was, I'd use it. I'd make use of it. Um, like cricket rollers. So we get a rope and get a harness and pull the thing backwards, forwards. Um, picked up all logs that they cut down from the trees. You know, carried them. Um, turned, got a table, turned it upside down, put somebody in the table, used as a prowler. Yeah. So it was like, you know, because at that time, you know, I didn't have a gym per se, I didn't have an indoor facility. And then the first sort of gym came about after this. And I was I was still coaching football to kids for a long time. I just sort of stopped playing then because injuries were cropping up, my kids and stuff really badly messed up. So I thought, well, you know, I love coaching, so I was still coaching all the time and I was looking for a facility at winter. I was coaching kids at the cricket club during wintertime, but it got really cold and wet, and the kids get cold. So I wanted somewhere indoors, so I just went to a buddy of mine I went to school with him. I didn't see him for a long time. He came back to Bolton from living in London, and we, I just went to talk to him. And they had a couple of big empty rooms free, and it was like in a mosque, and he had like a communal hall, and then at the end of the communal hall, there was like two rooms. One was just a battered old room there with all the junk in. And I said, can I make a gym out of this? Don't forget, I never had a business plan. Yeah. Really, this was going to happen, how 15 years, whatever, down the line. I have quite a well-equipped gym and everything. It was just all coincidences. Um, and I said, whatever I make, I'll keep it 20%. So that's how it started. I had a, I bought a power rack from London. Um, a Watson power rack, I remember it clearly. A black wow, a Watson one, that would have been nice. Yeah, but I got it really cheap on eBay that time. And... Uh, this is where the, the buying selling book came in as well, so it kind of coincides with both things. And um, I bought that. Uh, with that came a, a trap bar, a couple hundred kilo in inch standard plates, uh, and some bits and bobs. And that's how we started, literally. Um, 
and I started like coaching people and from initially I went with a couple of pro fighters and stuff and then I started working more in the realm of you know working with powerlifters literally with anybody but I was learning at the same time I was constantly constantly learning I read everything every book I can imagine um, YouTube I'm constantly working on my own ability coaching ability etc my own lifting technique even though I was lifted I was never you know a lot of initial stuff just mainly sort of like uh, the typical bodybuilding stuff I didn't really get to the strength side to the better later then then I really understood it, so I wanted to have learned how to play it. Um, by the time I come back from America, a couple of months down the line, I start my master's. So I've already got the gym. Um, and I was, you know, I was just playing around with different ideas and I was doing all sorts of crazy things because my mind just, it just... It just wandered you know, every, every avenue of fitness and health and strength and conditioning. I, I was just fascinated by everything and I'd make things. Um, try out things, try out ideas, anything that worked. Um, so literally, that's what I was doing. And um, that was the first kind of proper gym that we had in Dodge. My cat just being a bit naughty. Right, cheat. Uh, um, no, there's quite a lot that we, you touched on there. Obviously, like you started from the age of eight, like watching the Rocky movie. That's amazing. Like That's a great story. And then obviously you went and basically tried everything. And I think that's one of the best things a coach can do is like, Go and try lots of different sports, learn different techniques, learn how they train. You know, because I think I know like a lot of the team, uh, a lot of the English football team now, like they take things from other sports. And I know personally myself, I've taken certain drills from different sports. Um, so I think that's a is a great tip for anyone who's looking to get involved in coaching, or if um, if you're just a normal athlete and you want to develop um, your understanding or knowledge. Definitely just go and try different sports. I think that's fantastic. And obviously, it sounds like you had like a Joe DeFranco style star room gym, which is great. And uh, I had something similar. Like I, mine was just at the bottom of a barber shop. Uh, it was really small. It was like full of mold. It was really rubbish. We literally just painted the walls, put a squat rack in there, and we were ready to go. We used to do the prowler outside in the car park. Um, so, yeah, I know we probably started somewhere similar. Um, in terms of like your athletes that you have now, like how many athletes do you have? Like, what what sort of training do you do them? Obviously, it's developed quite a lot since you uh, since you graduated, um, nearly like fifteen yeah. years ago. Is it? I graduated with my masters in twenty twelve. Yeah. Uh, we moved to another gym, so we moved from that corner gym, and we got a we called it the dungeon. That was infamous dungeon training, which was a, a cellar, which was like dimly lit, dark, and you got tan guys deadlifting in the cellar. It was just the craziest four and a half years we've ever had. I still miss the of my lads will, um, because we, we were just, it was just fun. It was a rough place. We had three floors to it. It was cheap. Um, but yeah, from that evolves four, four years. February got the gym we, well, the gym we got now. Um, at the moment, I have a three-time world champion kickboxer, masters, um, I've got one pro boxer, which is Muhammad Ali, who's 6-0. Um, he's the first diabetic boxer in Britain to be granted a uh, type 1 diabetic to be granted a license. Amazing. Um, I have a professional MMA fighter called Faz Ali, he's 2-0, still a novice. So both of these are novices at the moment. Um, I've got Abdul Khan, who's a national champion boxer, amateur. He's been with me three years. Uh, this kid's been leaps, phenomenal work ethic. Um, and again, we've you know I've kind of challenged a lot of the conventions, but I think boxing science is another thing. I, I, I'm glad they came on the scene because when I was talking about ten years ago, people were like kind of ridiculing me and saying, "Oh, you know, boxers need to do jog seven miles a day and they start and do the other. They shouldn't do any strength training, but they can do body weight training. Like, well, resistance is resistance. What happens to me? Um, and Abdul's. Like I said, from a 14-year-old, 48 kg to a 56, solid 56 kg. Um, he's got everything, power, strength, phenomenal cardiovascular system. Uh, he just recently beat, I mean, Amir Khan's is actually his, his relative. And Amir Khan did a, a level 16.1 lead test um, in 20, 2003 before he went to Olympics in 2004. But actually, Abdul beat it. Wow. And most in, in interval base, it is 16-4. Um, but like he will run, depending on what phase or block of training he's in, 
But if he's on a treadmill, he'll, he'll do something like 20 kilometers on, one minute on, one minute on, six to eight reps. And he can sustain each rep. Yeah, I remember you talking about this to me, actually, because you use a an assault runner type um, treadmill, don't you, for more interval training. And you believe that that is better than doing, say, like the longer distance, the rocky style runs uh, for zone um, two kind of aerobic training. The longer, run, the longer runs were generally a lot of people did the longer runs because that was the, the thing to do. Um, Muhammad Ali, people before him, Joe Louis, whoever, all did that kind of training. And I'm not saying not dissing it at all. Um, it worked for him and they were fighting 15 minute round, uh, fifteen rounds, which is some going concerns pros now only fight 12 in the World Championships. Um, the assault bike, uh, the assault sorry, runner, it's not a curved treadmill, it's in the firm things like that. I picked it up at the job lot up in Scotland and uh, we devised our own protocols on that. It's brutal. 10 seconds on, a minute off, 10 reps, and I tell you, it's some serious lactate tolerance work. Um, so we have we have different protocols. We have a three-second protocol, which we, we want to see how fast I can generate force. Um, we have a five-second protocol, and then we have a, a ten-second protocol. Each one has different. You're looking at different things. One is very much ATPC stuff, you know, initial explosive burst. One is sort of in the middle, um, and the ten seconds purely glycolytic. It is just hard work, but. 10, 10 seconds of that, nothing you will go in a ring will be, you know, will be harder than what you do on them. It's just literally running up a hill for 10 seconds at full throttle. Um, and what we do is we work out um, every rep they do. So we look at the average speed, the top speed, when dropping off. So it gives us indication of what we need to work on. Um, we'll do that for about a few week block. Then we do the interval bear stuff, we do short burst stuff. And occasionally they will go for a slow jog. I've, I've got nothing against it. But the old days, uh, say 20 years ago, it was all to do with um, a lot of fighters trying to keep weight down. Yeah. So they would do long moves instead of eating better. Yeah. I'm looking at the lads I train. Uh, most of the amateurs I train anyway. Um, I've got, sorry, I forgot to mention, I've got Danny Allen's very talented kid from Rochdale. He's another amateur boxer. I've got um, another senior in um, Sam. He's gone to CYP finals. So there's a few things. And um, we can't just work out what, what it requires. And each person, when they come to you, you can't just train them the same. Yeah, 100%. This is what I've seen. Like with Muhammad Ali, uh, the pro boxer, came back. I trained him for most of his amateur career. He, he originally came from Berry. Mick Jelly, I mean, I can't train out of there. I, I do have a lot of lads from there. From there and, um, uh, I trained him all his pro career, uh, amateur career, sorry, when he turned pro, he was a, his manager wanted to go elsewhere. Then after the fifth fight, he came back to me and I changed his whole training ground. Now, Ali's naturally a strong dude. Yeah. So I changed his training and made him be a lot more velocity-based because he was never going to get weaker because he's got natural strength. I can put him on the trap bar tomorrow and he'll do a 70-odd you know, body weight. I'll do 200, not a problem. So we wouldn't quicker. So initially there was a lot of few mobility issues, so we went through that. I managed to pair him up with my buddy, who's a three-time world champion kickboxer. Mentioned they really work well together. We did a lot of like ballistic training, using medicine balls for no deceleration. Um, we did like contrast training, which is a bit you know complex work. A lot of specific core stuff, you know, stabilization work, uh, dynamic work. And again, we built him, you know, we worked, it was 12 weeks and he was the best he boxed. Uh, so as a coach, I was really happy that he moved better. He got his first knockdown in the pros. Uh, he didn't finish the kick, but he actually got a first knockdown. He moved so much better. For me, That's I'm nice. never happy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm never happy though. And I said to him that, you know, I said, look, you know, this is just a start. A lot of people, oh, we've done it, I've done it. You've not done anything. Yeah, that's the competitive no. side in you coming out, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I also am a perfectionist. And it's the same when I coach people when it comes to strength training. Um, I'm be very technical on that. People make, you know, even the elite level guys are making small mistakes and stuff. And I'll pick it up really quick. I've just got an eye for it because I've worked so long. Um, so now I'm starting to do a bit more seminars, but I really work with a lot of people in seminars. I'm not interested in making a lot of money 
we're providing a crap service. Yeah. So what I do is I really work with six people. Um, they get a reasonable rate, and they spend at least three hours a week go from the basics of the squats, the deadlift, and the bench, and we break it down to the absolute minute details. Now I've done some work with some coaches as well, and in the past a lot of coaches have come to me, my place because um, whether they want to just pick up ideas, see some of the equipment that we use. Um, or just generic, you know, coaching information. Because a lot of times, doing the MSc is fantastic academically, but practical-wise, I think it's very limited. 100%. And when I, I know from my personal experience, like whenever we get a coach in our gym, or like for me personally, I know like your education can get you so far, but it's more like experience and practical knowledge. And, you know, I think testing your own theories is important. So obviously, like you spoke earlier about you've set up your own protocols that obviously you've invented yourself. So the three, five and 10 seconds and you work with fight athletes. But have you tried them with strength athletes? Do you have something similar? Like, would you say that's a transferable protocol or would you keep that with just your fight based athletes? Mainly for the combat athletes, that kind of stuff that I use. For the strength athletes, obviously, if the novices, then it's all technique based work. So get the techniques up to the level that they're competent. Um, so at the moment, strength sports is really on the open in Great Britain, which is fantastic. And even across the world, um, which is just awesome. Since CrossFit come, again, people like it, love it. That's entirely up to them. I, I like aspects of it, aspects I'm not happy about. That's just me. Uh, but they bought Olympic weightlifting to the floor. Um, so again, and they bought powerlifting back in. So it, more people engaging in strength sports. And I, I'm a big believer in do whatever makes you happy. Yeah. Whether it's strength sports, martial arts. Team sports, anything. Whatever. It doesn't matter. It's your choice, your prerogative. Um, the only thing for me is, I'm not being a perfectionist, is get your technique right. The amount of people who come to me and the technique is poor and they've been training for years. Yeah. And then what happens? They get injuries. When they get injuries, oh, uh, we need to go see more and look at technique. And they're like, well, okay, they're spending an hour, two hours maximum on a session. There's only so much you can do. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone should do some level of coaching at some point. I was very lucky that, like, my school, we they took us through. Uh, like basics like the bench deadlift squat they did try and take us through the olympic weightlifting but obviously as i've got older i realized the coach who was delivering it was obviously quite poor and um, because like now obviously i'm i'm an olympic weightlifting um coach as well so i i understand that that was really poor at the time and now like we're developing our knowledge and i think the coaching as a whole has improved but i think a lot more people should get proper coaching and also they should start in schools as well I mean, massively, they should do it in schools. In America, there's, the mindset is different. Uh, same in places in Eastern Europe, Russia, for the you know the Iron Curtain come down, and obviously investing a lot of money in research into developing champions or you know, capitalism and communism. So I think people like for body strength coaches, if you kind of drift a little bit, look at people like Vladimir Zasiorsky, professor, you know, who's written the one of the most comprehensive book, Science and Practice of Strength Training. People like uh, Dr. Professor Yuri Barashansky or shock training, plyometrics. They had an abundance of research that was there. And I think people are sometimes, as the Americans would say, they major in the minors. Yeah. They don't focus on what needs to be focused upon. And when you are strength training athletes or even just generic strength training, you need to build a base of strength. Great quote by Mel Seth from Super Training, who got Super Training passed away. Again, Super Training is a tough read. I think he was a mathematician or a biomechanist, and he did a lot of spent loads of years researching, and his book is very comprehensive, but it's very much math-based and it's tough read. Yeah. Um, he says that most combat athletes, they get hammered into the ground, beasting the word. I hate that word, and I hate that way of keeping athletes. If I train an athlete, on a Monday, and they've got a spa on Tuesday, I would never kill them off. I never would anywhere. I'd work them optimally to a point. So when they go and spa the next day, they're going to be fresh. But some people have got this old school mentality. And again, the Americans are known for this, for the rest of the stuff. It's all about the daily grind, putting in the grind, grind, and then they get fatigued, injuries, overtraining, overreaching. Yeah. Um, big thing is, 
get your strength base and work on technique. When I take on fighters, unless they're going to be fighting, say, in 12 weeks, then it's a matter of getting ready to fight. If, it, if some of the guys I've got over a few years or a period of time, like most of them now, initially I spend more time developing. Rather than the normal deadlift, we'll use a trap bar. We find out much more easier to teach, uh, very beneficial. Uh, again, you know, learning curve is very fast, and you get a, a good bang for your buck, as Americans would say. Um, teaching basics, you know, basics of that lift, the squat. Because again, there's so many variations of the squat you can do besides your back squat. Again, if shown the thing with boxes is sometimes they have shown the mobility issues because they're constantly punching. So they are very developed punching muscles, and so we do a lot of work on the pulling muscles, scapular retraction, because unfortunately, you know, when you punch with that much volume and your muscles, opposite muscles aren't developed, there's going to be quite substantial imbalances. My job is to get them to get them fit, get them stronger, faster, keep them healthy. If I can't keep them healthy, I'm not doing the job. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. Like, I, I see it too often. I think it's a culture in commercial gyms as well where people train to failure. It's quite a popular thing, like, you know, and I think that's probably one of my issues with CrossFit. Like, I, I coached CrossFit and um, I had part eights in CrossFit for a few years. Like, it's one of those things where they overdo it sometimes or like an AMRAP or competing against someone who, like, maybe like a much better athlete than you, but you're trying to keep up with them and you absolutely destroy your body. And then that's where technique fails. And that's one of my issues with kind of like uh, doing AMRAPs with things like the Olympic weightlifts. Like I just, I just don't think they should be done in weightlifting because uh, it's more technique based, uh, especially if you're, you're not a very proficient lifter to start with. Um, so yeah, I would say like some of your fundamentals that you've mentioned already, like you've got to do something you enjoy You've got to look at technique and then build a base level of strength. There's some fundamentals that we have at our gym. Um, so what would you say like your other fundamentals would be? If, say, if you could only have five fundamentals, Mo, what would they be? First and foremost, technique. Yep. The other things that, I, for me, I'd rather work with one person who stayed with me for a long time yep. than 10 people come and go. So what I want is consistency, reliability, hard work ethic. One of the other big things I really, really emphasise is, is to be open-minded. Too many people are too restricted. Mm. They don't look far afield. And as I said, especially like amateur strongmen, they pick up so many bad injuries because all they want to do is lift big, 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 big. Yeah, they don't want to put in necessarily the background work, as I call it, like the, the groundwork, the foundation work. They don't want to do that. And I actually, I had the same issue with my own weightlifting. Um, I didn't want to do the mobility stuff. Like I, I was just like, no, I want to do the lifts. But then like, um, a couple of coaches that I was listening to were like, no, do your mobility first. Trust me, do the mobility first. And ever since I went back and did that, it's been so much better for me. So I know like a lot of uh, amateur strength athletes, they don't want to do that groundwork, but it's also, we get quite a lot of clients in and I'm, and they're telling me, Oh, we haven't done any flies. And I'm like, yeah, I don't do flies. Like, I don't do flies. I don't do front delt raises either. And they're like, why though? Like me and all my mates have been doing that for 20 years. I'm like, it's, read the science. It's terrible. It's just destroying your body. And you know, I think it's hard changing some people's perspectives. And when they come in, I think one of the most important things is they've got to trust you. And we're very blessed that imagine we have quite a lot of clients who trust us. Um, some of them, like one client who's really strong, he'll consistently do front delt raises. And then I'll be like, I'll be like you're not benching today. Be like, why? I was like, because I saw you doing front delt raises yesterday. You're just destroying your shoulders. So we're not doing it. You're going to be knackered. And uh, so then now he won't do it. So <laughs> I'm sure you have clients like that and athletes like that. And uh, it's, it's fun trying to change people's minds. I weed people out now. I don't have the patience. I don't have the tolerance for people. If you don't buy into what I do, I'm not short on work. I'm a very busy man. Obviously, besides the, the coaching, I'm, I started doing a lot more seminars. I'm very busy with the business side. So I buy and sell gym equipment. And plus, I make a lot of industrial gym equipment now. So I've got my fingers tied up with, uh, with a lot of pies, and I'm almost busy. So I always say to people, either you buy into what I do, but it's no point you paying your money to me. You might as well. Because I will not. I'm not another one who kind of like, if it's poor technique, you're high five. It doesn't work out with me. Yeah. Are you like the, I know that like, I've been a coach 10 years and I know for like the first few years of my career, probably most of my first uh, years in 
as in the industry i was like oh yeah that's good like i, I would take any client and now I'm, obviously i'm very different i want to make sure i've got a committed client um and i want to make sure that they know what's expected of them when they come in so if you know if they're five minutes late it's not acceptable you know things like that and i think setting standards is really important and it, it sets standards for the whole gym and also for your other coaches so it's like helping the other coaches develop i know as like uh the, the coaches here, we try and like set a certain standard in terms of like um, technique. I know Tom, who runs our Barbell Academy, he's really, really big on their mobility. And like even through lockdown, there's like he's sent them drills to do, um, whether that be learning their triple extension, whether that be working on some plyo stuff, whether that be working on some tempo, you know. And sometimes it's just helping them with their education. So I know some, like after most sessions, um, we'll even like give them like a couple of instagrammers to watch or youtube videos or papers to read you know if, depending if they want to take their education to the next level and really start to develop their understanding of whatever they're training and how they're training and uh, sometimes like we get clients who will be like oh i can't stick to this diet i'm like well you need to like you know it's up to you i can't force you to do this i can't force you to mobilize it's only down to you who can do it most of the time i think one of the I, think, I remember this very clearly. I said to this client, like she was, she was saying to me quite a lot, like, oh, I want to get to this goal. I want to get to this goal. And I was like, well, how committed are you? And I was like, she said to me, like, oh, I'm like three out of 10. And I was three out of 10. I'm like, how do you expect to achieve anything on like three out of 10 commitment wise and like effort? I was like, nothing was ever achieved three out of 10. Like you've got to be 10 out of 10. You've got to really, really want it. And if you don't want it, you can't expect the results. And too many people, I think, expect quick results too quickly or results too quickly i think so for instance like the client who i mentioned before about the front delt raises like he spent 20 years living his life sedentary eating lots of rubbish uh poor diet poor training and he expects it to change all very quickly and it isn't going to change quickly you know you spent 20 years basically destroying your body your movement your mobility your patterns of movement everything it's going to take time and i think patience is important it's something that i lacked as well um and it's something that I've developed a lot over the last few years as well. I think patience is vital. The strength game, people, I mean, it's a great quote by Bud Jeffries. Um, and Bud says that it's a year's game, not a day's game. And this is the problem that in modern society in center gratification. And I always say to people, I am the wrong person if you want instant gratification. I will, you have to spend time, you're going to live it. And if you're not dedicated to it, don't do it. As you said, a three out of ten is not enough for me. I'm lucky all the athletes I've got are driven. Yeah. I'm not I'm not there to be their motivator. No. I just said I don't I don't really work with nowadays with the general public. I mean, I do have a few people I train some females, um, and they all do heavy lifting because that's what they wanted to. Um they're basically a mother and two daughters, um, and I've got a blind guy that I train. And he probably lifts better than most able-bodied people. He's totally blind. <laughs> he's, he wants to learn, and he has to obviously visualize everything in his mind's eye. And you know, he's travelled all the way from Accrington by two buses to get to me. She's taken an hour and a half. Wow! That just shows commitment. And his technique in a year down the line is phenomenal in comparison to what he was. Um, I don't see that often because I said to myself, "Look, I've, I've taught you the basics. You don't really need me." But once every Four weeks, six weeks, he'll come down and we'll go through some basics. If you've got some questions, we'll go through the technique and stuff. As I said, as a strength coach, I guess I'm pretty stern and strict with people. I just don't have time. It's not that I don't have the time. If you're not going to buy into what I do, if you don't want to leave your ego at the door, I waste my time. Yeah, so not, you, not necessarily like you don't have to come in and like lift as heavy as you can. It's most One of the most frustrating things is say if you, like, you give someone a program and then they would like – you you've got a set percentage but they're going oh i'm feeling good today so i've just added an extra five kilo on each side and you're like yeah but you've got to think about the cumulative effect and i know I, like the client i'm thinking of he actually has learned the hard way he's like i've kept on persisting with him but now he like he believes so much and like he will he's always telling other clients so i think he's a great example where he's gone away learned from it and gone oh yeah actually i did make these mistakes but going back to your uh, client who takes two buses, I have a client who who does uh, ten to twenty thousand steps to get here. Uh, she's a fantastic little power lifter. She, you know, she absolutely dedicated, and she's the example I use to most people when they go, "Oh, I'm not feeling it today," or "I've had a tough day at work." I'm like, "Well, she just walked from work, which was twenty thousand mm -hmm. steps away, and she's come here now, and she's got a two-hour session for a power lifting." And uh, going back to the instant gratification as well, like, 
she um she trained for a powerlifting comp and she did fantastically well like she won it she did great but she didn't get that gratification that she thought she was going to get at the end of it she loved it but she didn't get that gratification she said she enjoyed more the training and leaned up to it and i think that was like an important takeaway for her and now like she appreciates the training more than the necessarily competition or the end goal you've got to enjoy the process as well i think that's so important this is the big thing. I mean, you're going back to what you were saying about it's a gratification of feeling good. Putting all the stuff up on your face before, like, on the one page, or two page, when I write articles, and I talk about maxing out. And forget about me saying it, there's people way more prominent than people like Boris Shaker and others, and they're saying, do not fall into this trap of training 90% above more in a couple of weeks. Because mm. what you're doing is you're performing. You're not training, you're not learning. 70 to 85 percent is where you can learn your lifts. Yeah. It's a massive difference. And that's what we work on. We work on the real it's a gradual build, 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 hit a peak, back down a little bit, build up a little bit. But again, some people love the training. Again, if they don't want to compete, by all means they don't need to. I had Steve Burrow last year who did really well in the masters and um, I trained him for only about a year. Genetic potential, great. He was a master's athlete. I did well in think he took part in with a strong man or whatever. He decided to do powerlifting and um, he had a shaky 200 squat. In a year, we got him in competitions of 232 and a half. Um, about 135 bench, we got him to a solid 155 comfortable 255 deadlift. Strong guy. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, after the last comp he did, which I think he won the, he got the best lifter as well. Um, it was last May actually, roughly this time. Um, and at the time I was in India, I see my family, so we liaised up on my WhatsApp and stuff. And he said to me afterwards, "I've had enough of doing this. It's too much on my body." I said, "Don't do it." Yeah. Because if you, you know, if you enjoy just the training, then do the training. If you enjoy competing, do the competing. Do whatever makes you happy. I know what I like doing, hmm. but I would never enforce it on somebody else. Oh, you have to do what I do because I love it. For me, it's who I am as a person. I'm addicted to you know, strength and conditioning. It's my life. Everything revolves around strength and conditioning. Um, you know, whether it's either making something or coming out with crazy ideas or something in the gym, I'm all open-minded and I'm always like, you know, uh, I'm like a child and just so curious about everything. Even now, I know, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And I always say the day that passion goes, I say, I'm gone. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be dead. Because if you don't live to do this, don't, don't, don't do it. And it's not, you don't make a lot of money in gyms. No, People definitely not the industry to make money. It's definitely an industry if you've got the passion for it and you want to do it, you'll it. that's why you need it. You've talked, you've made exactly the equipment you've made, and uh, recently w- I saw someone using a like an expandable ball as a pull up, uh, as a different grip variant. That was a that was they call it the globe. I call it more global. The most it's an eighty. It's just a bit of a fun joke, Jimmy and my buddy Martin Key. Uh, it's an eighteen globe. Phenomenal. Anybody who does grip work, whether you're climbers grapplers or genetic anybody try to chin up something low yeah it looked tough like i saw the video and then i showed like some of the other coaches here and they were like they'd like to have a go like we have one lad lad who's into gymnastics and calisthenics and um, so like, he'd love that sort of thing so um i know you make lots of different equipment you can make it to specific very uh, like specifications and stuff so like where would people be able to like reach you if they wanted to do that what are your social media on social media, I've actually set up a more power gym page. Um, uh, so at the moment, with the lockdown, everything going on, um, people wanting squat racks, yokes that become squat racks, um, axle bars. Um, we're making all sorts. I'm actually looking. Last two weeks, I've looked into making benches, mainly flat benches, but solid benches. Because anything I make has to be solid. Yeah, I've seen a lot of equipment you've made. Like we used your yoke when we came down to the gym, and it was solid. <laughs> I mean, it's no point us not making something, selling it. But yeah, things happen occasionally. The well might go fine, but generally, if you're going to make it, and I always try to price everything reasonably. I'm not into all the superficial, or less powder coat the equipment because it looks good. I don't care less. Yeah. I mean, all the, for me, 
It's not about the look of it, it's what you can do with it. The application. <laughs> yeah, it, it looks pretty. I know, you know, my yolks are getting dropped with 100 kgs in the past, and even more than that, the farmers have had 160 on them. They're solidly built. Because a lot of this is tried and tested by Jim. It doesn't just go out um, generally without being tested in my place. And I've got some seriously strong dudes in there. Um, because it, it, I'm not going to sell something. And I think it's all in, but I'll make a quick book out of it. I don't work that. No. But the last, the, the last thing I did was uh, I made them squat rubber stands kind of rack. Um, they've been tested to 150, not a problem. Uh, they're absolutely solid. I designed a couple of ideas for pop back brace so it stabilizes more on the front. So you've got two loading pins, so you can put some weights down. So when you do walk into it, they're not going to flip over on you. Which um, is the most common issue. Yeah. Um, all the other thing was like I made something for a gentleman called Nick Dodds. But I made him a yoke, but I then made some spotter catches with it. So you can squat off it. Yoke's about 60, 50, 60 key on its own. Um, absolutely I saw solid. Nick actually using it in his back garden. Um, I did, like, Nick taught me a lot of things. Um, and obviously, he used to be a sprint coach himself. I saw him using all sorts. He used your log. He's got all sorts, hasn't he? From, yeah. He's got quite a lot of equipment because uh, his gym actually burnt down, didn't it? That, that's right, yeah. Um, I made him a log, the farmers, um, to the yoke. Um, some other bits and bobs. But more than this is the big thing with the lockdown, people can't access equipment. And so we were kind of, we've been making stuff for the last 10 years. It was how it's all evolved from the making side, forget about the strength side for a second, is I was buying stuff, but then it snapped. Yeah. And I was like, I paid this money, and three times I've rung people over message and never even gone back to me. I thought, I'll tell you what, I'll find my own welders. Yeah. And so, we, I mean, I made a belt squat. That's oh, yeah. You've made a, a reverse hyper as well, haven't you? Reverse hyper, belt squat. Um, the reverse hyper I've still got in the gym. My story, say it's not pretty, but it's just industrial. It's built to last. I'm not, I'm not cutting saving pennies just to, you know, it doesn't have to look pretty, but it's going to be solid. That's me. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a grafter, you know, I'm not at all, but I'm not about the show work substance. Um, then I made a massive set of hooking um, these pillars that are sedans. Yeah, I don't think I've seen them. I I, did, I kind of design all that. Um, I think we've got a few athletes going to their competition in October if it still goes ahead, and I think they're using them there, aren't they? Yeah, most of the stuff that the strongmaster's all made by me. I mean, yeah. Dave's a mate of mine, and uh, his yokes are mine. Logs. Um, I mean, what's um, also stuff? Uh, the kegs, the platforms. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, we've made all sorts. It's just, as I said, for me, it's a bit of a hobby. I love making stuff. Uh, I've made a fingers finger recently. Um, I've not had a chance to play with it. You know, so that's another thing. When all this dies down, is we've got that. We've got in my place. We've got so much we don't have. We've had a monolift for 10 years. Um, it's nice, that monolift, the grey one in the corner. Uh, yeah, we've got monolift. We've got about 25 bars. Yeah, all sorts of different thicknesses, all sorts of logs, axles, football bars, Swiss bars, you got everything. If anyone wants to search, like if anyone wants to get any equipment, search MoPower uh, equipment. If anyone wants to like get some really, really good advice uh, or knowledge or a little bit more in depth, go to MoPower Strength and Conditioning, both on Facebook. Um, fantastic reads I know me and Tom like reading through them and usually when we read them we'll have a discussion about them um, and also me and Tom are really looking forward to uh, getting back down to Mo's gym uh, so if you want a training session go down to Mo Power it's really really fun obviously very private so you have to message uh, Mo if you want to get in um, Mo just to finish like where do you see the industry going in the next five years because obviously this is very scary times it's a very tough time for gym owners uh, just kind of wrap it up nicely like where do you see the industry going at this moment in time, obviously, a lot of people are training at home. So, when all the lockdown and they've invested a lot of money in a lot of inflated prices and things, so I'm thinking, are they going to carry on training at home? They spent a lot of money on the setup, or are they going to go back to gyms? So, these are questions that we need to ask. I don't know. I mean, for me, it kind of doesn't affect me because I'm in a private, invite only kind of gym nowadays, which we've all been. As I said, there's not sign outside my place. I think the gym industry, a lot of people go and train, but in my opinion, they don't train efficiently enough. Yeah. They still 
you know, they need to, if they did the fundamental lifts and then do the accessory work, like your bodybuilding stuff, you've got the foundation. So I think for the gyms, they need to really open up their mindset as well. Um, you know, but again, for them, it's about making money. If people feel good, they go to the gym, we might just say, I'm more into the performance angle. I'm all about getting out stronger, faster, fitter, rather than the generic public that goes to the gym and just enjoys training. Again, I'm all cool for that. Whatever you do, go by me. But from my perspective, it's just all about developing athletes and you know, hopefully these athletes that are eventually some of the amateurs will start turning pro and you know, they, they do well. That's my satisfaction is them. Yeah. I personally well, think like the, the industry will have a massive change after this. I think people, I know a lot of my friends who have bought equipment who have not necessarily been to go to the gym quite a lot or have any coaching. They've bought equipment, but a lot of them are not using it, including my brother and dad. Like they're both buying it, but they're not using it. And they bought it at like really inflated prices, like you said, which is crazy. I think it's really bad. But I think like when the gyms do reopen, I think commercial gyms, obviously they'll have, they'll be bound by, um, by social distancing. So they, they will struggle to get the volume. And I'm hoping more people will start to seek out proper coaching. Uh, they'll come to small private gyms like ours. Um, because I, I disagree. I don't think people should necessarily go into commercial gyms and start training because I think that's where a lot of like health issues and back problems and injuries come from. I think everyone should have to have some sort of level of coaching. I know in America, the structure is a lot better. You have to have a certain number of coaching or PT sessions before you start training. You have to have a proper induction. It's like, a, I know when I went to the CrossFit gyms and um, in I think it was Germany you had to do a six weeks fundamental course I thought that was fantastic like I think every CrossFit gym should do that um, and I'd love most gyms to start developing some sort of fundamentals I know before clients go into our barbell classes um, Tom makes them do certain squat uh, drills or certain mobility drills like I think it's so important that you have to build those foundations and fundamentals so for me I think that's where the industry will go I think a lot of people will come away from commercial gyms because they might be scared of going, they'll struggle with social distancing. I think they won't be allowed many people in. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a crazy time. No one really knows what's happening, uh, but we'll have to wait and see because I think on Sunday, is it Boris is talking or is it Thursday? Um, I think he'll talk about when we're reopening and stuff like that. And we're just excited to reopen really. I think it's it's a difficult time. Um, as you said about the needs to be induction and it's like, you know, you use that time and learn your craft. In a sense, learn your technique. Even for coaches, I'm, I'm talking like the big thing I see is I've met loads of academic background where I'm not a great academic. I'm more hands-on, even though I have academic background. Again, um, you've got to learn to coach. But the big thing is you've got to learn to coach. You have that ability, communication skills. You know how to correct faults, etc. And that is so important. And, and I say that to students, you know, when they come to me, you know, people are going to live better. I said, look, you've got to spend that quality time. I've spent years and years and years hammering my technique and picked up things. And like when I do seminars, I, so I break it down to the minimum how to do things, but do it properly. But again, the fixation is let's go to a back squat. Yeah. What about the back squat? If you can't even get your squat mechanics right. Yeah, on, a, on an air squat or a goblet squat, you know, they've got, they've got to be doing the basics first. Like, if you were going to give one takeaway from this podcast for a coach and one takeaway for an athlete, what would it be? For a coach, read as much as you can, spend as much time in the gym as you can improving your technique, mm. um, because that's critical, but also then learn your coaching skills so you can correct things. And if you're not sure about something, don't be afraid to send it to the right people. Yeah, I think mentors and actually asking questions is the best thing. And I think, like, I know I've learned a lot from debate. And sometimes I'm wrong. Like, I will be like, oh, what about this? Oh, I think this. And then, like, I'll go and read about it or I'll study it or I'll ask other coaches about it. And I'll be like, oh, fair enough. I've been doing this wrong. You know, yeah, I think you're right. It's not about being wrong. It's about knowing our limits as well. I ended up not a physio. Yeah. So if somebody comes with it, I'm not sure. We look, we have a person at the gym who works out there privately, so he can just send them to him, go and check, get it checked out. Let's know what's wrong. Let's get it corrected, and then we can go and address things. And you always have to be honest to yourself, to, to your clients as well. Uh, for athletes, especially you know, just train properly, systematically, consistently, don't overreach. Follow a um, Yeah, and... 
there's enough people, you know, there's some really good coaches out there. And the great thing I always say is they fly under the radar because nobody knows about them. I mean, I was probably one of them, you know, I, I took my website off. Yeah. And all my work now comes from purely from reputation based. I don't have a website. Um, you know, the media, I'm a bit gruff and like you really take, have really takes training to me and stuff. Because as I said, I don't have patience anymore, which I had when I was a lot younger. And now I've got my way of working. I know what works. I know what doesn't work. So I've experimented long enough. I've had enough guinea pigs in my gym for 10, 12, 15 years. There are some of the doctors, you know, highly professional people and you know, we'll discuss. The, the thing is, fear of losing clients should never be your worry. Yeah, be, be honest with them and tell them exactly how it is. I'd rather have one client that'll stay with me. A lot of my guys never leave. Yeah. They'd be with me Yeah, and the thing is, you know, we, we always have a chat and a laugh. I mean, we have a really good sense of humour in the gym. And obviously, I've got a little who works out there as well, uh, logical lifting. Young lad, late 20s, awesomely strong dude. Um, and a very good coach already. Mm. I wish I I'm not bigging him up now. What, what he knows at this age, and me and him will talk. We, we have might have a different structure or different, we always reach the end goal together, might have a different way of going about. And that's what it is. You can't really worry about, oh, you know, it's there's no one way that's better than another way, but you've got to no. find things that work. Yeah, I but think a lot of coaches, like especially young coaches, they'll make that mistake like, oh, I saw Louis Simmons do it like this, so I need to do it like this. Like, you know, science may have developed, techniques may have developed, you know, find your own way and uh do what's best for you mo thank you very much for joining us on the podcast day i know we will have you on again to talk more things training and we can go in depth on a specific subject because i know we can talk all day about training because we love it and it's our passion anyone guys who wants to um get in contact with mo to uh, basically just search mo power and um, lots of knowledge great gym can make any piece of equipment you want guys um, definitely get in contact and mo anything you'd like to say just to end the podcast um, just thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to uh, talk about what I love doing. Um, <laughs> so I've never done a podcast, so I didn't know what was going to come across or how I come across. But you live and learn. Mo, so, I know, I know. This was the podcast that me and Tom were pretty excited about to do, um, just because we wanted to get your input on it. And I know we're excited to kind of delve into more. This is just a small introduction to yourself, um, and I'm excited to have you on again. Thank you very much for coming on, bud.